that you're here. You know, I grew up in Greenpoint, and Greenpoint is a beautiful place that you can't afford to live in, but before it was Bohemian, it was Polish, and before it was Polish, it was Puerto Rican. And so we, we grew up in this neighborhood, and one of the things that I never knew is that Greenpoint smelled. <laughs> Didn't know it. Had no idea. There was a sewer system about, I want to say, two and a half blocks from uh, where we lived. We lived on Manhattan Avenue between India and Java, above the Great Wall of China, Chinese restaurant, which was awesome, right? How many people can say they actually lived above the Great Wall of China? It was awesome. So I lived there, but I never knew. I never knew it smelled. I, I had been there since I was like two or three years old, and it never occurred to me that it smelled until like I actually had to kind of go away, I left, and then I came back and I was like, oh, this is what everybody's talking about. <laughs> I was like, I remember I used to come over the bridge and I would be like, the smell of home is wonderful. It was a sewer, it's terrible. You know why? Because you could be so exposed to something. You could be so uh, a part of something that it no longer registers in your mind. They call that nose blind, right? That, you know, like if you're, if you, you know, if you go into a bathroom, have you ever gone into a bathroom? You're like, ooh, woo! And then you're in there for like four minutes and it's like, oh, it's like no big deal. The smell must have left, right? But no, 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 the smell didn't leave. You just became nose blind. Did you just become used to that? Right, you get that, right? There's a principle behind that. The reason is, is because anything that you're exposed to enough and over and over again, you become desensitized to. It doesn't become something that registers. Now, do you think that that's possible to do in our walk with Christ? Sure. We see, when we first come to Christ, we see the radiance of Jesus. We see the glory of the King. We see He radiates honor and blessing and worship. And then, after a few weeks, a few months, a few years. It's like, what are we going to talk about today? Jesus, oh, all right, Jesus, I guess. He becomes, we become heart blind to him. We become worship blind to him. So today we're going to talk about that a little bit, about who Jesus is. Now, we've been in a series, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, during the season of Lent, we've been sort of just looking at who Jesus is in a series called Jesus Uncovered. And we looked on the first week, we looked at Jesus as king. Jesus as our king, the ruler, the one who reigns. Last week, we looked at Jesus as a servant and what that means for our lives, seeing our great king as a servant as well. Today, we're going to look at Jesus as our God. And I don't want you to become heart blind to that statement. Jesus is God. Because I can imagine some of us can come here and go, oh, good night. We're going to talk about Jesus as God. Could we not have faxed this one in? Because it's not that important at this point. We know Jesus is God. Good night. This is a Christian church. We worship Jesus. We just sang about it. And I'm telling you, it's possible. It's possible to be in a church community like this. It's possible to come from the backgrounds that some of us come from. It's possible to know all the right doctrine and yet have the fact that Jesus is God be numb to us. Numb to the way we run our families. Numb, Jesus is God, doesn't affect at all the way we relate to our spouses. Jesus being God doesn't reflect at all how we see ourselves and see the world. Jesus being God doesn't, it just, we become blind to it. And so I want to invite you into one of the most breathtaking texts in the Bible. And that's saying something because we're talking about the Bible. This text, and good night, I say this so often that I know you're, you know, you're, you're tired of hearing me say it, but this text, we could, we'll take all of eternity to understand this text. This text is so profound. This text is so beautiful. We couldn't do a series long enough to do justice to this text. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you know right now, I'm, 
I'm going to be skipping a lot in this text. There's just so much here. But we're going to take the time to absorb what the text says about Jesus being divine, about Jesus being God. Now, this is Brooklyn. And so some of us grew up with um, some ideas about who Jesus is. And they're simply not true. We had, we used to, up until like a year or two, had the Watchtower, uh, Watchtower Track Society. Um, their headquarters was just about three quarters of a mile down, right? And so, you know, the, Brooklyn is definitely the city for the Jehovah Witnesses. And you might have had, maybe you lived in the projects, maybe you lived in a, wherever you lived, but, you know, you get that knock on the door and, you know, these fine-dressed people and they're kind and they're loving. And they told you about how Jesus wasn't God. How Jesus was maybe the archangel Michael. And, and so this might be like a little bit uh, unnerving for you. Because you're cool to come to the recovery house of worship because, you know, there's some loving people here. We, we serve. There's some good... good some reasonable counseling, some beautiful music, and you go, yeah, 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 um, not, not too bad, the food isn't too bad neither, and so you go, oh, wow, you know, I, I love coming here, I love the affection that I feel, but nah, Jesus is not God. Well, I, I want you to see what the Bible says, because it's not important what you say or I say. It's important what the Bible says. Some of you grew up and just, you know, perhaps you grew up in a sort of a, uh, a secular environment. And you go, oh, yeah, no, no, no. Jesus is among one of the great teachers of all time. Maybe the greatest teacher of all time. But that's as far as that goes. Maybe you grew up Muslim. And, and Jesus was a great prophet, one to be honored, but not God. I don't know. And there are, I mean, good night, right? So, like, if you grew up Mormon, uh, Jesus is the brother of Satan, Right? And so, no, you laugh, but some of, us, some of us grew up in that. And so, what do we do? Who do we believe? And my argument is that we're going to trust the text. We're going to trust the scriptures. And so, we're, we're going into the book of Colossians, and we're going to look at a beautiful, interesting, we just came out of a song, we're going to go into a song. This scripture is a hymn that Paul quotes as he's speaking to uh, the people at uh, Colossae, which, by the way, he had never met. And he's, um, he's trying to um, show them the beauty of Christ here uh, and the supremacy of Christ. And so let's look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. Would you stand? One of the habits that we have, or let's call it traditions, that we have in our church is uh, we stand at the reading of God's word. And so the reason that we stand at the reading of God's word is because it doesn't make us any more holy or it doesn't make us any better or anything like that. We stand because sometimes we need to remind ourselves about, about how important God's word is. And so when we, when we stand, we're saying, what we're about to read is really, really important. Yes. Has authority over our lives. And if you're not there and you're just kind of kicking the Christian tires and you're not sure about this Christian thing, we don't have to stand. You, you, can, you can sit and nobody would think badly of you or anything like that. We're just telling you why we stand. Yes. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. This will be good for our souls, so let's read it together. Yes? yes. Okay. One, two, three. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. 
For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed. This is God's word. Whoa. Whoa. Okay, so let's get right into this. There's so much to talk about. The sun is the image of the invisible God. When the, Bible, when the scriptures speak about the sun being the image of the invisible God, we're not talking about Jesus as hologram or Jesus as like, you know how like you have a, 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 a coin and it has a president or something like that on it and, and you look at that, oh, and that's the image of the president. Well, yeah, yeah, that's kind of the image of the president, but this goes beyond that. Jesus is the exact representation. If you want to know about God, you look at Jesus. You go, I wonder how God would react to me. Look to Jesus. I wonder how God would feel about what I'm doing right now. Look to Jesus. I wonder how God would train or correct or rebuke or, or anything. If you want to know anything about God, you can just look at Jesus. Jesus is the image. He's the icon. He's the exact representation of who God is. The Son is the image of the invisible God. In other words, Jesus makes God visible. The firstborn over all creation. Let's take a moment to speak about this because the word firstborn goes, ah, ha-ha. You see, Jesus is created. He's the firstborn. He's the one who was created. So here's the father, and the first thing that God does is he creates Jesus. And then after that, well, no, if you think that, what you, you're probably not reading it this like a, like a person who, like a person in Paul's audience at Colossae would read this. You see, the firstborn was a a way of saying preeminence, or a way of saying authority, or a way. So in other words, there's several places in the Bible where it speaks of, let's say, Israel as God's firstborn. That does not mean that Israel was the first nation that ever existed. That means that Israel had higher esteem or was loved by God in a special way. It had an authority. It had an esteem. It had preeminence over everything else. Does this make sense? Or you'll hear how, um, for instance, Solomon was uh, David's firstborn. Well, if you know anything about um, the scriptures, you know that Solomon was not at all David's firstborn in terms of physical birth. In other words, he had several children before he had Solomon. But Solomon was first in preeminence, first, um, many times what the firstborn uh, meant in this culture was that the firstborn was the one who had the rights to all the resources, all the finances of the father. And so uh, I have a son, his name is Edwin. Edwin is my literal first, firstborn child. So let's say for instance I'm in this culture and I had a, uh, a farm and animals and a house and all these things. Saying that Edwin was the firstborn was to say that Edwin had equal authority with me. So Edwin could be walking down a field at 10 years old. And he could go to one of my servants. He could go, hey, don't do that. Do that. And like that servant not know who Edwin was. And then another servant go, no, 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 do that. He's the firstborn. And he would be like, oh. it would be like, oh, I see. This is like the same authority as the father. That's what that means. When it says that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation, it's saying that Jesus is equal in authority, equal in power, equal in preeminence. This is huge. And then it goes on to say, that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. Not the, not the firstborn in creation, over all creation. And so 
Jesus is preeminent and he has authority over everything that we see, smell, taste, and touch and everything that we don't see, smell, and taste, and touch. He has authority over everything that you can think of and everything that you can't think of. Jesus has the authority because he's the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, things visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. It's as if Paul doesn't want you to miss his point. There's nothing that exists that didn't come from Jesus. Jesus created it all. He's the author of life. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I love this story. Um, Billy Graham, some of you might remember Billy Graham, you, some of you young people don't. Billy Graham was like a massive, a massive Christian figure. Like he, he witnessed to just, he was, he was like, my goodness, he was everywhere. He was a huge uh, uh, evangelist, great man of God. Billy Graham was in a, a, a conference or a, a grouping with other sci scientists and they were talking about the universe, and he said nothing when they were talking about like uh, all the intricacies of the universe and all these details, and he said nothing. But they got to a point when they started to talk about why is, why does, what holds the world together? Like why isn't all, why aren't all the atoms just flying in every direction? Why is there order when there should be chaos? They don't know what holds, and to this day, scientists still don't know what holds everything together? Why isn't everything just like exploded and, and, and chaotic? And it was at that point, he, he was quiet when they were talking at every point. And then they go, we don't know. He was like, um, pick me, pick me, I know. And he referred to this. He said, he is before all, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. All things hold together. Every atom, every proton, every neutron, everything holds together. Jesus literally holds everything together. This is huge. This is massive. Jesus can, and I, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I just want to just point this out. Not only does he hold the universe together, but do you know that he can hold broken lives together? Do you know that Jesus can hold broken marriages together? Do you know that Jesus can hold broken Bodies that are falling apart, that he can hold them together. Did you know that? Yes, he can. He holds it all together. Jesus being God makes a difference in every area of our lives. He's the head of the body. That is to say that he is the authority in the church. The body is, uh, well, it says the, the very next two words. He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. Again, there's that word firstborn of, uh, from among the dead. Remember what I said before about the firstborn? Now, if you've read the scriptures, you know that Jesus is not the first person to come from the grave. We see this several times in the Old Testament, where some, in fact, even in Jesus' ministry, we see Jesus raising people up from the dead. Does anybody remember the story of Lazarus? Where Lazarus, for those of you who are not familiar with the scripture, Lazarus was Jesus' friend. He, he just goes ahead and dies, like loses his life, gets sick and dies. Is in the grave three days. The old King James Version says, and I'm not kidding, I'm not making this up. Um, it says, um, I forget what like disciple comes up to Jesus and said, um, he's been in the tomb for three days and he stinketh. I'm not kidding. That's in the Bible. And so, so he was like, not dead. He was dead, dead. Three days dead. And Jesus, Jesus prays and raises him from the dead. So wait up. This firstborn can't mean it's like first in order. He's the firstborn from among the dead. He has preeminence. Did you know? As great a miracle as that was of Lazarus, did you know, I don't know if you knew this, Lazarus died again. 
Did you know that? Yeah. So Jesus' resurrection is something that is beyond. It is the template that we can look forward to. And that means, that means when we die, we can look forward to being resurrected by the one who's going to live forever. And we will live with him with new bodies. So that, why is this important? So that in everything he might have the supremacy. In fact, can we say that together? So that in everything he might have the supremacy. Oh my goodness. So, all right. I, let me tell you why this week. Okay, I'm, uh, I'm, we're running out of time. So I have to run to this. I hate that we only, why are, I'm going to move to India. In India, they give their pastors like four hours to preach. Y'all barely give me a half hour. It's terrible. All right, here we go. Here we go. So um, let, me tell you, let me tell you what kind of difference this makes in your life. Um, okay. And then let me just, let me say something really quick, briefly. John, um, oh my gosh, what's his name? Zach, help me out. White guy from California, old man, uh, pastor, John MacArthur. I knew Zach would be able to help me with that. John MacArthur said this, or at least he's the first person I heard said this, say this, Jesus is either Lord of all or not Lord at all. Jesus is either Lord of all or not Lord at all. Okay. The reason that I'm sharing this with you is because Jesus is God, and he's either God of every aspect of your life, He's not God of any aspect. Jesus doesn't give suggestions. Did you know that? He gives commands. He doesn't give suggestions. And he's either God of all, or in your life, he's not God at all. And I just don't want that for me. I don't want that for you. I don't, walk, I don't want you to walk around in life thinking that Jesus is going to give you suggestions so that you could do better with what you want to do anyway. Jesus is not a manager. He's an owner. He's not a, he's not a suggestion giver. He gives commands. Amen. And what that means is that our lives have to submit to him. And so let's look at some of the, let's look at some of the, the results of Jesus being God. The first is that if Jesus is God, that reorders your priorities. It reorders your priorities. If Jesus is God, that means whatever you thought was your identity, whatever you thought was most important, whatever you thought was who you are, takes backseat to who Jesus is. It reorders your priorities. If Jesus is God, then whatever he says I have to submit to and obey because he's God. He's, he's, he's God. He's God. Do you know, in other words, Jesus is the boss. Do you know that some people, I'll, this happens all the time. I'll share with, and, and, and the coolest thing happened this week, my son David, who's five years old, um, received Christ uh, this week. It was awesome. It was really powerful. He's five years old. He comes up to me and he says, Ba, um, am I going to go to hell? And I was like, Psh, maybe. Let's talk about it. <laughs> it's like, you know, let's, let's discuss this. This is a very important question. Let's have a conversation about this. And like an hour and a half later, he asked Jesus to forgive him of his sins. It was so funny. Nothing to do with the sermon. Let me just tell you this. It was pretty funny. So he comes up to me. I go, so David, the problem, the problem is, is that we have sin, and sin separates us from God, so we have to ask God for forgiveness. Right? Stop asking people to, tell, to, to put Jesus in their heart. It means, it means, it's meaningless at this point. Ask, Jesus to conf- uh, ask people to confess their sins unto Christ and receive his forgiveness that he gives by shedding his blood on the cross. Well, I'm trying to communicate that to a five-year-old, and he goes... I haven't sinned. <laughs> I was like, well, I'm your father. I know better. He literally challenges me on it. He goes, when? I was like, I can't think of anything right now, but I'm promising you sin. And he goes, yeah, 
give me an example. Man, I had to walk to my wife and I said, has this boy ever disobeyed you? (laughs) It was a whole thing. It took us 45 minutes to get past that. It was like, I ain't got no sin. You, I can see why you need Jesus. (laughs) Me? I'm all right. My slate is pretty clean. But if Jesus is our God, he has authority. What he says is true. Now, I come up to people and I say, Jesus is the boss. If Jesus is going to be God, that means he's the boss. If it means anything, it means he's the boss. And, and here's the response. Does that mean that I have to give up? Yes. Does that mean I have to stop? Yes. Does that mean I have to? And I just go, oh my gosh, you didn't understand the Jesus is God part. You didn't understand it because that's the stu- it's not the stupidest question. It's just an it's an insane question. It's not cra- it's not stupid. It's crazy. Think about this. If Jesus is God, and He's promising everlasting life, and He's giving you a new He's giving you a new purpose. He's giving you salvation. He's giving you everything. Asking a question about can I, does that mean I have to stop doing? Is insane. You just don't get that Jesus is God. It's like this. It's imagine, imagine you're in your 30s. Oh, okay, cool. Nice. Some of you are. That's great. Little help for my friends. Yeah. Imagine you're in your 30s and a doctor comes up to you and says, and and you have a rare disease. And the doctor comes up to you and says, I just discovered the cure. But there's there's a hitch to the cure. If you take this medication, it'll cure you. But this means that you could never have chocolate again. Because of the way the medication is, if you have a piece of chocolate, it'll mess up your, you got to stay away from chocolate. Right? You're 30. You'll get another 50 years of life. You'll get another 50 years of life. But, uh, you can't have chocolate. How ridiculous would it be to go, do you mean like white chocolate or dark chocolate? (laughs) Do you mean like chocolate from like candy bars or cocoa from the root can I have like would you start negotiating at that point like you're a de- you're at death's door you know what you go you say who cares about chocolate give me the give me the prescription give me the medication give me the help that I need but do you know I tell people all the time that Jesus is God and they go and, and, and then I say, oh, but the way you do sexuality, it's, what? You're taking away my chocolate? The way, yeah, 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 those people, yeah, I get it, right, right, right. The way you do your money, what? You're trying to take, what? All the church wants is your money. All the church, I know, it's your chocolate. And you can't live without it. The way you do, the way you do forgiveness, you have to submit it unto who Christ is. Like, oh man, I'll just die. You got that choice. Don't you see? When Jesus is God, he reorders your priorities. He he shifts what's important. What's preeminent is who he is, and everything else under that means nothing. So if Jesus, and Jesus didn't say this, but if Jesus said that Puerto Ricans aren't allowed to marry, then I would be like, whoa, that sucks, but he's Jesus. If he says that, oh, 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 Guys, guys 
aren't allowed to live indoors. I go, whoa, that stinks. But I'm I'm, going to get used to the wilderness. Because he's God. He's the one who gives you life. He forgives your sins. He forgives your sins by paying for them. Let's not forget the last uh, verse within this context. He says, how does he do all these things? Um, Whether, um, uh, verse 20, and through him to reconcile in himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace. How? Through his blood shed on the cross. What could Jesus tell you to do that you go, nah, Don't talk to your husband that way. You're just, you're just beating him down. Nah. Don't treat your kids like that. You're exasperating them. Nah. Like what? Don't you see? Don't you see? You have Jesus not as God. You have Jesus as helper. Think about this. Think about this for a second. Jesus created the entire universe of which scientists with really powerful computers can't even begin to count how many stars are in the universe. And if you think that the complexities of the universe are are vast, you should delve into the complexities within the human body. It is no, there is nothing like it. Just the complexities of your eye would blow you away. The one who made the stars in the heaven, the one who made the eye to function the way it is, the way it does, the one who did that is not someone you want to ask to be your assistant. Jesus is either God of all, or he's not God at all. So it reorders your priorities. Secondly, not only do you have to reorder your priorities, you have to relinquish your rights. Jesus don't owe you nothing. We relinquish our rights. This means, listen to me, listen to me. Are you suffering? The Bible promises that you'll suffer. If you're in Christ, you'll suffer. The Bible promises it. It's a promise. Don't be shocked when it happens. Are you, listen, what are your rights? Are you, have, you been, have you been single too long? Listen, listen. God, I give up my rights to have the marriage that I want. I give up my rights to have the kids that I want. I give, because my life is yours. Whatever you want to do with my life, is the way I want to do it. Amen. Give up my rights. I, listen, I give up the right. A lot of you know my story. My mom is a paranoid schizophrenic. She has been I, as long as I can remember. And I, I go to the, to the place where she's staying now. It's this ward, and the smells are terrible, and the people are, it just, it, it, it takes a lot for me to go. I'd literally force myself to be with her for one hour. And it's like the longest hour. She's, she's almost always on a heroin nod. It's, it's not heroin, obviously, but it's the medication that they give her. But you get what I'm saying. It's the scratchy. It's the, you, you get what I'm saying. And I'm there with her. And I go, God, this is not right. I deserve a better mom. I deserve a better circumstance. I deserve a better situation here. I want a mom who can give me wisdom and affection and love and guidance and all that other stuff. And, and here's, the, here, here's the deal. Edwin, you don't get that. My father, about a year ago now, screamed at the top of his lungs. He never wants me to call him again. He's... And I call him, and he won't pick up the phone, and he won't take it. I've been clean for like 28 years. It's a long time. You don't get that, Edwin. Oh. 
some of us think that we have things in our life that we're owed. But if Christ is God, then you relinquish those rights. God doesn't deserve, God doesn't owe you a good marriage. And he certainly doesn't owe you a new Cadillac. And he doesn't owe you that promotion. And he doesn't owe you the health. He doesn't owe you the healing. What if submitting unto Christ wasn't a plea for safety, but an invitation to adventure? That you go, and, and adventures, I don't know if you've ever seen anything about adventure, right? The guy's, you know, the prince is comfortable in his castle, but and then he goes out to slay the dragon, and the dragon has real fire breathing out of his mouth. It's dangerous. It's, it's crazy. It's not... We reorder our priorities and we relinquish our rights. God does not owe you friends who don't gossip about you because you're following Jesus. God doesn't owe... Do you get what I'm saying here? He's either God of all or he's not God at all. Now, this leads us. You go... Well, this was a Debbie Downer. I, I don't know if I like this sermon too much. Okay, cool. Why don't we look at this? Not only do we reorder our priorities and we relinquish our rights, but we rejoice in our God. Yes, sir. I, I don't know if you remember when you were like in love when you were a teenager and everything bad could happen. You could have got kicked out of school. Your mom could have said, you know, you're punished forever. And, if, and all you needed to, like, just listen to the voice of the person that you were in love with. And, and the whole world was made right, right? Yeah, it was just, like, great. It's, it's, it's like that in Christ. We get, to, we get to rejoice in our God. Here, you have a God. Listen, are you suffering deeply? Are you suffering deeply? Christ not only suffers with you, he suffered on your behalf so that your suffering isn't nearly as intense as it could be. He suffers in your stead so that whatever suffering you're going through, he can identify with. That's awesome. This is, you know when this is really powerful? If you've ever been to a hospital and just had a friend show up, boy, it just go to a hospital and have no one show up. That's painful. But go to a hospital and have a friend show up. And by the way, if you hear about someone uh, in the hospital within our community, that happens a lot because a lot of us have put some city miles on our body and, you know, we hurt ourselves. And so when you, and when you see that, you go visit them and you go, but I don't know what to say. I'm telling you, your words aren't important. Your presence is. That's never more true than with the Lord. His presence is with us so that he loves us and he's with us and he promises never, never, never to allow us to be alone. We can rejoice in our God because even in this dangerous circumstance, even in this difficult situation, he is with us and he is for us. And the suffering that we're going through is not because he's against us, but because he's growing us into the likeness of Christ. See, it changes everything. Everything. The way you do marriage, it changes that. So if my wife doesn't like me and I feel like a total loser, I, can, I don't have to defend myself against my wife. What I can do is, Jesus, can you remind me about what your thoughts and your emotions? Well, Edwin, I laid down my life for you. I would, I would, I don't, I don't, this is not just words of a song. I did this. I wouldn't just give my life for you. I did give my life for you. I love you. And so I can go back to my wife and go, okay, tell me. Tell me about what I did and so that I could come to Christ and ask him to help me with this issue. Yeah. That means that if you're, in, I mean, it's just so many illustrations, but here's the point, guys. He's our joy. And when he's our joy, your joy never leaves. If anything else is your joy, it will always leave. If your spouse is the, is the basis for your joy, then I'm telling you, if your spouse is the basis for your joy, some days you're happy, some days not so much. If your health 
or your youth. I had an older man about 15 years ago. He made a joke that stuck with me because I was like, you know, he was, make, he was making fun of me. And he was my spiritual dad, so he could. Um, but he goes, oh, yeah, Edwin um, exercises because he thinks um, that he's going to stay young forever. <laughs> he thinks he's going to stay young forever. In other words, I was trying to like, I was like, I, that's not real. He was wise. He was wise. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at myself and like, I'm telling you, right now, you're looking at my version of the comb over, right? This is me trying to cover up bald spots, right? I was just talking to my wife. We went to, we went to Canada so that I could, you know, preach in, in, at a street-level conference. It was really powerful. It was cool. And we ate this thing called poutine. Have you ever heard of poutine? Yes. It's awesome. It's, it's French fries in this thick gravy and cheese on top of it. In other words, it's a heart attack, right? And I, we didn't have, like, one poutine. I was like, poutine in the morning, poutine in the evening, poutine at supper time. It was, like, awesome. But I'm telling you, I must have gained 12 pounds from it. And, and here's my thing, though. Here's my thing. I was like, no problem. I know how this is going to come off. I work out. I eat right. I've been working out and eating right for the last month. It's not coming off. It's like, when they say moment on the lips, lifetime on the hips, they ain't kidding. Here's my point. Here's my point. We're all dying. We're all deteriorating. Our hair is going, our, our, our breath is going, our lives are going. And Jesus promises to be so intimate with us during those times that not only will he guide us through those difficult times, he says, there's nothing that you can lose on this earth that you haven't gained 10,000 times over in Christ. Amen. You lose this body, in Christ you get a new body. Amen. You hate the injustice in the world, you think that the powerful get over on the weak, that the rich oppress the poor. Beloved, there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth where the thumb of the man is no longer pressing down our necks. Do you think that marriage is, is too difficult and hard? Beloved, Jesus says he's coming back for his bride, of which we are. We are his bride, and you will have then the most perfect union possible. There is nothing you can go through in life that Jesus isn't the solution to because he's God. And he's either God of all or he's not God at all. Now, if you're here, imagine if you live this way. We're about to close. Imagine if you live this way as the musicians come up. If you live this way, this would change your life. You know what this would do? This would address, you know that thing that you're worried about right now? you'd worry less. You'd worry less because Jesus is in charge and Jesus is going to direct and lead. You know the thing that makes you sick right now and it's just so sad about? You would come to Jesus and receive comfort from it. You would do everything differently. Everything. If Jesus was God, the way you viewed the world would be different. If Jesus was God, the way you look at your job, it would be different. You go, you go to your job and you see your boss there and you're like, I don't like you. You know what? Jesus is God. Jesus is God. And so Jesus loved me when I was unlovely. And Jesus served me when I was being a brute. Man, I'm going to serve. I'm going to love changes the way you do singleness, changes the way you do marriage, changes the way you do getting older. It changes everything. If you did this, your whole life would change. Your joy would grow just seeing Jesus as God, knowing that he loves you the way he does, was willing to lie, lay down his life for your sake. Now, tomorrow you're going to have an opportunity as you go through life. I'm telling you, train's going to be late. I, I had to go through this the other day I was going to, uh, again, my son's, um, uh, what is it called? Uh, the career day. Thank you, Liz. The career day. And I was like, what an awesome opportunity. When do pastors get to speak in schools, right? 
And so I was able to celebrate Jesus there and, you know, do the career day thing. Hey, I'm a pastor and all this other stuff. And it was awesome. And, um, and I was running late. And the train, have you ever had the train, like, close on your nose? Yeah, it just, I know he saw me. I know he saw me running. And I can take a moment and I go, okay, God, strike him dead. No. 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 I said, God, I did everything that I could to get here on time. I woke up early. I left early. I did all that I could. And um, you're sovereign. You're in complete and utter control of this. And if you want me to get there a little bit later, if you want me to avoid something or you want me to pursue something, if you want me to pursue someone, my life is yours. Whatever you want to happen in the next 16 minutes that I have to wait for this train. Cool. It would change the way you do everything. Now, some of you don't know who Jesus is. You've never surrendered your life. You never, you never confessed your sin to Jesus and received his forgiveness. Man, don't leave here without that. Receive Jesus. Confess to him that you're a sinner. Be specific about your sin. Tell him you're proud, arrogant, selfish, self-centered. Be specific about it. Tell him that you live for chocolate rather than him. And in all the various forms of chocolate that you live for. Come to him. Now, in a few seconds, I'm going to ask those of you who want to receive this beautiful God as Savior by confessing your sins to him and receiving the forgiveness that he gave by dying, shedding his blood, the text says, shedding his blood on the cross. As those of you who know Christ are praying, if you've not surrendered your heart to Christ, here's what I want you to do. I want you to just go, Jesus, I've treated you as an assistant, not as God. You can confess your sin. I'm going to ask you to stand in a few seconds. I'm going to ask you to stand. Every demon in hell is going to want you to not take this step of surrender. Don't listen to that. Don't listen to them. Don't listen to the person sitting next to you. They're saying, if you think you'll be embarrassed, just receive him. So, if you want to confess your sins to Christ, and you want to do it for the first time, and tell him that you believe that he died on the cross for your sins, and do it for the first time. It's like a light bulb went off. You kind of understand it now a little bit better than you did. If that's your first time and you want to live for Christ, you want him to be the boss of your body, I'm going to invite you to stand in five seconds. Three, two, one. Stand if you want to receive Christ. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Awesome. 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 Praise God. Awesome. 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 Now, stay standing for a second. Stay standing for a second. Okay. Now, what's going to happen after this service is that you're going to get inundated with hugs from people who love Jesus, who are in this congregation. We're so happy for you. Here's what I want you to know. I want you to know that as you come to Christ, we're going to give you a moment to pray. And just whatever sin comes to your mind, just confess it to him. If a hundred sins comes to your mind, confess a hundred. If you're like me, I confess the one sin that I thought I could never be forgiven for. I don't know if you have one of those. I did. And I confessed that one. I was like, could you even forgive that one? Because that one's just super bad. That one's like criminal. And his forgiveness, he dies for you. He pays the penalty for your sin. And so you can, you can experience, you go, oh my goodness, that's a beautiful gift. So I want you to take some time 
And if you're a, a sister next to one of our sisters, you can put a hand on their shoulders appropriately. If you're a guy, you can put a hand on their shoulder just in solidarity so that we could pray for you. And as I'm praying for you, you tell Jesus, yeah, man, here's my sin. You don't have to do it out loud. You can do it inside, in, in your head. But um, if the women could get around these women and the men could get around these men. Yeah. I'm going to pray for you. It's precious. Precious. So proud of you guys. So let's take a moment to get around our sister here. Confess your sins to him. Be specific. He promises to forgive. And he promises with his blood. The death sentence that we deserve, he took. As you confess that, experience the forgiveness that he gives. He takes away your shame. He takes away your guilt. He takes it away. Yeah. Father, I thank you for my friends. I thank you that you have laid down your life for us by sending your son to die in our place. I thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. And Jesus, we praise you. We thank you. We believe that what you did on the cross, the punishment that you took, is sufficient for even our grossest sin. And we receive this forgiveness. And so Jesus, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to live in us that you would forgive us our sins and that you would be lifted really high in our lives. Birth in us a desire for you, a longing for you, and help us to love you with all of our hearts. For we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.